Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Get Better at Business. I'm Travis Richards. We're going to spend the next 20 or so minutes, as we always do, trying to pull some pearls of wisdom from a super smart person that can help us improve our companies, improve our careers, improve our businesses, improve our teams. Really excited. One of my favorite colleagues that I have in the entire world, Mr. Carlos Lazo, who unfortunately I've actually never, he, Carlos and I are in Vistage together, which is a CEO networking group. We've never had the privilege of meeting in person because we kind of started our relationship during COVID. He's out in El Paso. I always walk away from conversations with my friend Carlos feeling very energized about making my business better. My discipline is improved. And so I think that we're going to be able to get some great stuff from Carlos. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. I really appreciate you taking some time. Travis, thank you for having me on. We've had conversations offline and we share a lot of common pain, a lot of, a lot of the, the victors as well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited and, and hopefully I can add some value to the listeners. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm confident that, that we can. And so before we get going, especially since it's your first time with us, like, give us just kind of like, you know, five minute background, the car, like what, you know, your, your origin story as an entrepreneur, how you ended up doing this, and then also just kind of give everybody a background on what your company is, Lazo Holdings. Then the primary focus with the quick loop business, just kind of give us a quick overview of what you do. Okay. So the five minute version, a little bit about me. So high school dropout, we'll start there. Dropped out of high school, thought I knew it all. Apparently I didn't know it all, but hey, <laughs> you, know, you, you, you learn the hard way sometimes. Joined the family business, did that from about 18 years old to mid twenties. Decided, you know, entrepreneurship may not be for me. And I can circle back to that later, but, uh, Decided I want to be a police officer. So pursued that, went out, went through the academy, became a police officer, and quickly realized that that wasn't my calling. So that was a, a quick kick in the butt to say, hey, you know, I respect the, the men and women that do it and, and love law enforcement, but, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea. Right out of there, transitioned into Wells Fargo Bank. So I went into the financial sector as a banker. And, you know, that, that education was a, a huge education for me with regards to the conversations that I had with some of these guests that would walk in the bank. And they, I mean, they were just brilliant. There was insight left and right from the wealthiest to the not so wealthy. It was mm -hmm. just, it was so influential in my life. That taught me that the corporate chain or ladder was not what I thought it was, you know, great company. I mean, they, they, they pushed, which, you know, we all know the kind of the story of, of what happened with Wells Fargo, but I take it as a huge learning lesson. So got out of there, decided, you know what, save some coin and I'm going to get back into business. At that time, my brother and I had invested in a quick loop back in 2012, 15,000 bucks approximately. So super low entry, not, not common nowadays, but we were able to make it work. 2014, I said, you know, I'm done with this corporate, the corporate world, cashed out my 401k, had you know, a few thousand bucks in there. Not much, again, not what I would like to have, but we said, you know, let's let's give it a run. We purchased our second location up in 2014, ran that, you know, with a very different mindset than prior to entering the police force, which was a small family business, very small, very hands-on, which is a great learning. But that really kicked it off, and and 2014 was kind of the the starting point, I would say, for for my new business career, which it's been phenomenal. I mean, it's just been such a run. We'll fast forward kind of to today. We established Lazo Holdings in 2017. 
So it's a holding company, our parent company, which now owns multiple companies under that umbrella. One being the Quick Loop, uh, Quick Loop portfolio, which is Loop Express here in El Paso, Texas. And it's just been such a run. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's hard to put it in five minutes, right? Because it, it, it's that overnight success that's taken, you know, hell of a long time to, to get. People talk about, you know, overnight success. And it's like, yeah, if you ever hear about an overnight success, it's like, dude, no, you just, you didn't, you didn't start the story at the beginning. You know, it's just like, oh, overnight success. It's like, you're starting from when you first heard about us, not from all of the learning and the pain and the lessons that had to come leading up to that. So overnight success, but kind of to that point though, I mean, it's like you did all the learning, you took a lot of those lessons, but then you did hit a point where the growth really started to accelerate, right? And so kind of give everybody a snapshot of where you guys are today, kind of from those, you know, more humble beginnings. Absolutely. So 17, like I said, we started the holding company it was myself. Our corporate team was myself, my brother, and a bookkeeper that we brought on board. So very humble beginnings, like we said. Acquired a furniture store, which which is also in our portfolio, and, and that's a, a whole different conversation, but it, it's been a great journey as well. But really the quick loop, what we saw is an opportunity in the market in which nobody was really taking advantage here locally in our, in our uh, backyard. So we really focused on the growth part of our business, which is the quick loop side in that portfolio. So from 2017, we opened our third location, ground up construction in 2019. 2019 was three. So 2020, we opened our fourth and fifth store. So we opened two in 2020. And by the end of this year, 2021, we should be at about nine stores. So there's been a, a progressive growth, but it's really wrapped up over the last 24 months, I'd say. This is a great segue into the whole reason that I wanted to have this conversation with Carlos so that I can pick his brain a little bit more because in a, a lot of businesses, there's kind of certain transition points that different businesses get to. And the one that Carlos has seemingly successfully overcome is what a lot of people would call sort of like the founder's trap or the family trap, where you have to make this transition from being a small family-owned business or just like a small deal to being something that is a more professionally run company. And I don't know that I have ever met anybody that is as disciplined about the way that his company operates as Carlos. And that's usually a lot of the inspiration. And so to kind of kick this off, I would butcher this quote. And so, but I remember that whenever we were talking over lunch one time, you, you, you said something about like, there's different kinds of companies. There's like sometimes companies or not, so not all the time companies. And then there's every time companies. Clean that up for me. What, was, what is that about being an every time company? Like, what's that quote that you gave me? Yeah. So you, you almost hit it right on the head, right, uh, Travis. So there's, there's the companies that, right, they do it sometimes. So, you know, they get it right sometimes. There's the companies that get it right most of the time, which, you know, we, we know a lot of the brands that, that do it right most of the time. And we can, we can attest to that. And then there's those companies, those outliers that do it every time. That right there, the every time mindset has been something that's been transformational in, in every company that we operate. So it's become almost this driving force that essentially we, we don't have any other way but to do it right every time. So it's really been something that's been a driving light and, and force for us. I mean, 
I remember whenever you told me that, because I had also heard a presentation where somebody was talking about the concept of operational excellence and like really boiled that down to where it's like, look, your customers, they don't judge you by how well you do it whenever you're at your best. It's like they sort of set a minimum level of expectation and it's like, that's what your reputation is. It's not how good are you when you're great, but it's like, what level of service can I expect consistently? That's, and that's kind of that mindset. So it's like the example this guy used was like, you know, everybody's been to McDonald's whenever the fries, like, have you ever been to McDonald's whenever the fries are like fresh out of the oil? And it's like, they're so good. But most of us have been to a company, you know, have been to a McDonald's store where they're not fresh and they're kind of gummy and gross. And it's like, that's part of the reason that I think most people wouldn't associate a, a company like McDonald's with super high quality. It's not that their best is not good. It's that you know that there's a chance that you're not going to get it 100% right every time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're, you're right on point with that. And, and that was a transformational deal for us as well, you know, to, to look at things from the, the side of operational excellence. So McDonald's, you know, they're, they, they obviously run a great operation. If not, they wouldn't be who they are today. But you know what to expect in regards to certain quality. But you know what you're expecting, right? So at the very least, like you said, you're not too surprised when you get the the stale fries or you get the the lettuce that fell out of the burger etc etc but you know what you're going to get so that's i think where us as a consumer we start to settle right i think we we settle for average we settle for okay and we kind of set that expectation in our mind arriving to these establishments so us as business owners and our personal brands we've gotten to the point where we're saying you know it's almost like we don't have an option. You know, our guests need to expect excellence every time. It's not some of the time. It's not most of the time I go to this location and, and there's that, that great service. It's saying, you know, these guys deliver all the time. Every time I come to this location, I can expect a high quality of service. And to me and, and to our team, that's really been what sets the good from the great apart. I mean, it's just such a, a day and night division there that it pays and the dividends are, are amazing. I mean, once you, once you can see that. Most people that I talk to, I think can grasp the concept of like, this is what operational excellence is and kind of like your clients are going to judge you by kind of what they can expect from you consistently. But, you know, something that you and I have talked about that I think, I don't think that people, like, I think people can understand that like, yeah, I get the idea, but it's sort of like, Walk people through this, what it took for y'all to be able to really act on having that mindset. Because I know that we've talked a lot about data, right measurements, and this and that. And I know that y'all in, you know, did tons of work, made significant investment as a company to get that. So walk through the journey of like, it's one thing to say it. This is what it takes to really be able to act on it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So what, what we saw and what we did, you know, there's a gentleman, I'm, I'm trying to recall his name at the moment. But he runs a, a workshop and it's surrounding operational excellence. So I was able to contact that gentleman through a gentleman by the name of Greg Crabtree, which is the author of Simple Numbers. So a great contact, great uh, introduction. And this gentleman came in and said, you know, I can help you guys switch that transition. Now, it was an initial investment, but I think more than the money, it was the investment we had to get from the team, right? The buy-in. So it took us sitting for days and uh, upon days in, in a total of a few weeks to really drive that home. And, and this gentleman came in and t- 
taught us what it was to see things for the every time perspective, right? So we would see something and we'd say, hey, you know, that's good enough, right? Uh, 99% is, is typically okay. He came in and he really drove that home. I mean, it, with the tiniest of details, you know, the fries is an example, right? Saying, you know, is it okay to get them right some of the time? And and how do you get that right every time? What What's the ingredients? And, and I think that's, so the outcome, like you said, it, it sounds easier in theory, right? You're saying, well, you know, we do it. It's easy. That's let you just do it. Right. That, that's the whole the whole thing. The challenge is getting the mindset right, getting getting the back end as to why and how you develop that mindset. After that, it's almost a, an outcome. It, it becomes the you're going to do the back end. That's the deliverable is that you're going to get that operational excellence. So it really was a huge transition with our leadership team, with myself, beginning with myself and my brother being that we are the, you know, the, the owners and, and leaders of this. So that's where I think it all kicked off. And it's been a journey, you know, this was back in January of this year. So a few months of this, but our, our team and, and leadership team has really, really taken to and it and the dividends, like I said, they're just, they're phenomenal. So what was it like making the pitch and like making the sale? Did you have any detractors? Was it, did you find that it was hard for people to understand what you were doing? Like, what was the process like of, kind of creating the, or was it something that was already in place? Like you already had a culture that was really committed to this. Like what, what was it like to get everybody committed to this idea and willing to roll up their sleeves and do the work that it was going to take to get those outcomes that you're talking about? You know, it was, so thankfully we have a a phenomenal leadership team in in our corporate side that has really been open-minded and growth oriented, right? So that wasn't so much the challenge I thought it would be, but I think on the store manager side, the guys that are in the field, the guys that are on the front line, our you know our leadership in, in that's out at the stores, I think there was this sense of saying you know you want more. Why why do you want more? It, it's the why, right? I think it always came back to why. Yeah. Because we've always been a, a fairly disciplined company. We run you know we, we run a really tight ship, and, and that's just we pride ourselves in that because, like we said, the guest gets to win our team members get to win because there's longevity in the business, but it really was a transitional mindset for, for a lot of us. Like I said, and I can't say it was just them. It was all of us, but particularly some detractors that really, you know, we found out very soon on or early on in this process, who was going to stick and who wasn't. So we did have a few guys that said, you know what, this, this isn't for me. I'm, I, you know, what you're asking for, I don't believe it's possible. And therefore, I don't feel this is the right fit. And we gladly said, hey, you know what? Thank you for what you've done. We appreciate it. Good luck in your future endeavors. But this is not the company for you. And that's okay. I think that's okay to tell, you know, to tell others and say it's not okay to to just settle for good. You know, we're going for great here. One of my takeaways from one of our conversations was kind of built around that idea of like, it takes a certain kind of a mindset to not take that like, well, hey, this is good enough. You know, I mean, it takes that extra level of discipline. And the fact that it's not, I don't remember what we were talking about, but you were just like, dude, there's a lot of people in El Paso that are looking for work and we can find people that want to operate this way. And so it's not like, I mean, do you feel like committing to this just kind of reinforced the culture that y'all had already committed to? Absolutely. I think that was a big part to that. And the buy-in on my brother's side and, and my side you know, that I think that was the leading driver. You know, if, if we didn't buy in wholeheartedly and really believe that this was the right thing to do for the business, for the for our team members, for our guests, for the future, 
it wouldn't stick because it, it takes so much effort. It takes so much repetitiveness. It takes so much going against the grain, right? Because again, not if they're not detractors, you know, the, the, the detractors, they were evident. Sure. It's those guys aren't, the, that's not the issue. It's the guys that say, yeah, 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 I like it. Okay. And their actions say otherwise, right? And that takes time to, to mold and or identify, you know, who, who needs to go. And, you know, is it an easy, an easy process? No, but I think the fact that we were so committed, you know, we said, look, this is happening, whether anyone likes it or not. But I think it started with myself and my brother really getting that buy-in in ourselves and saying, look, are we willing to take this journey? Are we willing to do what it takes with the investment side, the time side, the, you know, all the moving parts that have to happen in the longevity of this, because it's a never ending cycle. This, this yeah. operational excellence doesn't, it's, it's not a quarter. It's not a half a year. It's not a one year campaign. This is a, for everything right so it's it does take a lot to really commit but when you are committed the clarity you have as a leader it, you know it, it's it's invaluable because you're leading knowing that this is the right thing to do there's nothing wrong with this it, it doesn't it doesn't come natural to people to to think in operational excellence terms but it's the right thing to do and that's the the way business should be operated it's it just the right thing it's, it's just not the easy answer it, it was never the easy answer yeah, and I think that it's kind of to your point is that I've found that like any big initiative, whether it's operational, like whatever it is that you want to roll out in your company or on your team or to your colleagues or whatever, it's so easy to start. And I don't think most people really take an accounting of like, what is it going to take for this to continue? It's not what is, it's, it's like, you know, the idea of like a mindset about being healthy of like, you know, going on a diet versus taking on a life, changing your lifestyle, you know, and it's, uh, you know, with something like this, like you said, it's like, dude, it's never done. It's like, this is not a decision about, Hey, we are doing this project. This is the start. This is the middle. This is the end. It's like, this is now the way that we are going to run our company. Absolutely. Whenever you're rolling this out and you're kind of making the pitch and getting everybody kind of mentally prepared for this, I guess I got, I got two questions for you. The first one is, did you find that it was the same message for everybody or did you have to like meet people where they are? Like, you know, where the, the message for like the store management versus the shop level versus your, your marketing team versus your accounting team, did they need to hear different messages in order to buy in? So did you have to meet people where they are whenever it came to getting them to buy in on this or was it the same message for everybody? The operational excellence is, is a very broad term. I mean, and so as it pertained to each department, each function, each individual almost, you know, we did find that there was a lot of tailoring that we had to do because it, it wasn't a one size fits all, right? It, you know, the language we're speaking to the operations team is going to be different from the marketing team because marketing doesn't see their their everyday action necessarily as, as operational, right? They, they, I'm doing marketing, I'm, we're advertising, we're creating this and that. It, it's a lot more difficult to use one uh, one size fits all deal on this so th this was really a lot of different teams and function i mean th this was really a, a a whole organization really rallying around this and saying okay how does it pertain to me and that did take some back-end thought to say okay well our accounting team you know how do i articulate what operational excellence means to them and each person in that that group. So once we were able to to get around to that and mold it and, and instill it and identify each department and function and what that looks like for them, I think that's really where they started to make the shift 
and we started to see that you, you it's almost like an energy you can feel it in the organization you can see it the results start to to change the attitudes start to change and like i said the ones that are not with the program they start to realize that you know what this organization just may not be the right fit for me it's it's and that's okay i mean that's always a, there's nothing wrong with that absolutely okay and I did remember my second question and that was whenever you're having this conversation with everybody what was the pitch kind of like on the one hand i can see this as being like dude this is this really big thing that we are doing as a company this is this big cultural change and this is this really big deal and on that end of it it's like maybe a little too big and scary. But on the other end of it, if you just kind of are too subtle with it, they might not grasp how important it is for the business and for the culture. And so in that respect, how did you get the message out? Was it like a we're going to rally the troops and, you know, big do big rah rah thing or was it something that you did over time and just kind of, you know, consistently reinforced? What was that like? What part of like how did how did that all work out? So I think it was a mix. I think there was a mix of, you know, the, the buildup to it uh, to say, look, you know, on, on the beginning of 20, so this started in 2021, we started it this year. It was really to say, you know, what, what's that look like guys? And then, you know, getting everyone around that and just saying, Hey, this is coming, this is coming operation. You know, we threw it out there. Like they're, you know, we're, we're switching to a, to a different uh, mindset here. Yeah. So that was the beginning of it. And I think it was just, again, it turned into, look, this is a marathon and, it, and it's a, a marathon with no end. So we need to, to pace it. We need, we need to build it up. Uh, you know, that, that was hugely important and understand the, the value of that because a lot of, a lot of people don't understand it, including ourselves for a long time, what the value was here and what you really, what that does. So it took seeing some of these results proof, right? The proof of concept to get the real buy-in, you know, when we're going through the class, when we're going through theoreticals, when we're going through the, you should do this, you should do that. You know, this company's done that. They're saying, yeah, that's that company. And it, it, we really don't believe in it. You know, we, we want it, we like it, but is that us? We're, we're a different industry. We're different, sure. you know, uh, yeah. we're accounting. We're, so it, it was a, a very different perspective from each, each department. Right. But overall, I think as time went on, and they started to see the fruits of that, you know, the slightest little increase or, or the slightest improvement and how their lives were easier, how the, the guests were at the store level, how they were perceiving this and how and the feedback they were getting. I think it started to drive this momentum and the momentum started to build. And the, as a leader, it's our job to keep that momentum, right? Keep feeding that. Don't, don't let it slow. Don't let it come to a stop. And I think that's where us as ownership or leaders make a, a it's a fatal mistake, right? We're, we're not hundred percent bought in, it's easy for us to let off the throttle. Hey, I'm going on vacation. You know, it's summertime. I'm going to go take a, a couple of weeks off and clear my head. And, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong, but the momentum goes away. And then my momentum slows down. Our leadership slows down. We all kind of, and it, and it starts to come to a halt and to get it back going again. is just, it, to me, it's 10 X more difficult. So I say, why don't we just as a group, let's just keep it going. We don't need to make day and night strides. This isn't a, this isn't a sprint. We don't need to get there tomorrow, but we need to make incremental changes every day. And, and again, once they saw it, I think that's when the, the reality starts to like, it, there's no words I could put in that would, that would prove that it, it's saying, look, do you see that? Oh, I see that. Oh, wow. That that's wow. It, it's like, an, yeah. it, it's a light bulb moment. Right. So that was really the, to us, the driving factor. You've kind of hit around the edges of this. And I guess this is the last thing that I kind of want to ask because this is 
I talk to a lot of other business owners who really struggle with like metrics, data, and I like in a lot of information. And so a lot of the when you were talking about results, you know, you talk about them being observable and you can see these, you know, you can see the changes. And then even knowing and being able to prioritize what should we change, it's hard to make those decisions if you don't have data. And so if somebody's thinking about this idea, I feel like maybe there is a preceding step of like, did you have to be able to really know your business and you have to have information? And so to what extent is that true? It, I mean, is it, what was y'all's data component of your business like whenever you started? And then what advice would you give somebody on like kind of helping them judge, am I ready to get very serious and potentially make some significant investments on an initiative around operational excellence? How does data fit into all of it? Oh man. So in, in obviously we've had conversations offline in, in our group, in the Vistage group, but data to me and, and to the organization is key. It's vital. I mean, if, if you don't have it, and or if you have bad data, you know, you're basically running very fast in the dark, waiting to, mm -hmm. to run into a wall, uh, you know, a concrete wall at that. So for us, it, it was huge. I mean, it, we have always been big on data, but as time's gone on, we have really upped our game, I would say, in the in the data side of things. So, you know, we measure we've, we've measured operations in a very fine, fine manner. Financial reporting, we've always been very keen on, on that. But as we made this transition, we also realized that our systems had to, to also transition. They had to grow with the company to get the right data, right? Because that's what business is. To me, it's all about, you know, it's almost theory, right? We throw a theory out, we throw a test out because nobody knows the future. We don't all have the right answer. Sure. But data confirms or denies that. The data is the ultimate teller of all truth. So us as, as ownership, again, it's it's really it's understanding how much do you want to know about your organization? How, how much are you willing to look in the mirror and how close are you will, willing to get to that mirror to find the flaws and not only find the flaws and identify them, but go to fix them. And that's where data to us, again, is without data. I mean, you're you're running blind and it's it, and it's reckless to, to a certain extent. Because it, it ultimately it's your gauge, it, it's your dashboard, it's your cluster, it's it's the check engine light that tells you, hey, you know, you got a problem. It's been it's been game changing for us. I mean, we're we're huge on it. Like you said, is that it's like you know numbers. At, at least this is a very common language, and we can have discussions as leadership teams and you know about what the numbers mean and how important they are, or whatever. But at least if you have the numbers, you have that baseline that you can kind of return to and say. This is what we are talking about. You know, we are talking about seven times per hour, or we are talking about, you know, $150. Your job as a leader is to talk about how important is this number? What does this number mean? Is it something that we need to change? I mean, just huge, huge. So my last question is like, I understand that you kind of went through this really at like, you know, I mean, this was like COVID's going on whenever y'all sort of, you know, made the decision that you're going to start doing this. Let's just kind of take that piece out of it for a second. Hopefully that's not the situation that we are going to be returning to. Just kind of go back in time and, you know, have this conversation. You've got 30 seconds to give some advice to Carlos Lazos, Carlos Lazos, six months before you started this. Only got 30 seconds. You know, you're about to get, you know, jerked back to the present. What do you tell him about ahead of starting this initiative like six months in advance? What's that one nugget of wisdom that you're like, all right, dude, I know you're thinking about this. 
you know, fill in the blank. What are you going to tell them? I would say commit, commit to the future and, and really buy in. I mean, just go all in. Don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Go all in. Beautiful. Beautiful. I can't thank you enough. This is just, as always, our conversations just inspiring, clarifying, and I, I, I'm sure that all the listeners are, are getting a lot of that same value as well. So we'll have some links in the show notes to a few of the things that Carlos was talking about, some of the books and the, you know, the programs that he mentioned. Is there anything else like, you know, as for those people that are in El Paso, where can they find you guys? Of course, we'll get links to your website and all that, but if they wanted to connect with you personally, your Lazo Holdings, like where do they find you? Social media, internet, all that. So Lube Express, obviously, that, that's our main portfolio. That's what you'll see around the city. Lube Express is our Quick Lube brand. We also have Lazo Management, which is not necessarily seen. Our corporate office is a little tucked away. But you could find us at lazomanagement.com, lubeexpressep.com, Carlos Lazo on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to connect or you know has any questions, I'm more than willing to give any insight I can as, as we've always had our conversations and just share what we got. But Aside from that, I'm not big on, on the social uh, with Facebook and all that good stuff. I'm you know, typically <laughs> a little tied up with business and work. But yeah, I mean, that, that would be the start, LinkedIn for sure. All right, man. Well, hey, dude, we really appreciate that. And to those of you that are listening, we appreciate you as well. Thank you so much for investing this time with us. We hope that you have found it valuable. Whether you did or you did not, we would really welcome your feedback. Please leave us some comments. If you have enjoyed this, we would greatly appreciate it if you recommend it to a friend who needs some of this information as well. And we would love that if you would subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a favorable rating if that's the way that you felt about it. Carlos, once again, thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. I, I can't tell you how much it means to me. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, buddy. Hey there. Travis Richards, one last time, thank you so much for investing your time and tuning into the show. I really hope that this was helpful to you, and I would appreciate your feedback very much. If you have some notes on what specifically from this episode was useful, or if you have ideas on what we can do better in the future. If you would like to support the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people find us, and also just recommend this to a friend. To get in touch, visit us at www.getbetteratbusiness.com. That's all for this episode, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Thanks.